0: back to the four idle hands podcast welcome back terry you're welcome indeed in fact now we're almost hitting hitting the summer it feels a bit like
1: yeah let's not get carried away it's still still may and judging by the weather in aberdeen the last couple of weeks anything can happen big bank of mist can come in and ruin any plans that you might have <laughs>
0: well those big banks of must have been causing lots of problems in the last couple of weeks so um, yeah i
1: mean but- i mean you get you get that happen for a couple of days and it's a bit like the Cold Years, isn't it? Oh,
0: there, excellent I, link.
1: I've just done a link to the return of the Cold Years. They're back on the Four Idle Hands podcast after, well, it's pretty much three years now. No, two and a half. Two a and a, a half. Bit, years. A bit, so, yeah. So, we'll be uh, speaking again to Ross Gordon um, as our, our interview on this episode. Um, we've also got the return of Blur. Um, Roger Waters is um, coining it. And uh, obviously, we've had quite a bit happening in the week of sport with uh, Manchester City uh, defending their title, Celtic defending theirs, and La Rochelle doing likewise. Um, we've got a couple of reviews. Terry's going to review the new national album and Def Leppard's um, symphonic rock uh, effort, Drastic Symphonies. And I've been to the dead candy, so we'll we'll talk about that in due course as well. But let's start at the very beginning, Terry, with the big news uh, of the day, which is the uh, statistics about potato consumption per person across Europe. This is fascinating stuff, isn't
0: it? I mean, it's shocking news, actually, to be honest. And I think, you know, you need to get Leo Varadkar to be on the case for this one. um, because it turns out that that ireland is not the biggest consumer of potatoes so yeah um, so, so potatoes it's not ireland it's it's actually look at the map here it's bloody bloody the polish and
1: it's not the polish terry you didn't even read the statistics properly i'm looking at the map yeah but if you look a bit closer you'll see that belarus are the potato kingpins of europe yes. uh, with a, a lofty 170 kilos Per person per year, that's pretty but, amazing, eh?
0: But I see. I think right. That's so. I think what's happening is Mr. Belarus, whose name I forget, is stockpiling potatoes, and he's going to start firing them with spud guns across at Ukraine. <laughs> uh,
1: but the Ukrainians would like that because uh, Ukraine uh, consumption per person is 126 kilos. Yes. So, so that a nice redistribution of potatoes.
0: But do you think this is just because I mean Ireland and Britain, especially, it seems. I mean France is particularly low. Um, maybe it's just the more healthy environment, sort of diet we have these days and less potatoes, less crisps, less starch.
1: Yeah, well, I, I, I'm not really sure. I mean, if you look at some countries, um, you, you know, um, obviously you can understand maybe. Uh, as you go more towards Central Europe, that is cold during the winter, and you need a wee bit of carbohydrate to fortify yourself. But you know, you, you can look at Ukraine with 126 kilos, and they're nearly next door with uh, Bulgaria, <laughs> which is only 26 kilos per person. So <laughs> heaven knows what they're eating there.
0: Well, I mean, it's actually I was thinking about. So I think it's Friday since I last had potatoes last night. So yeah,
1: it's making me want to have potatoes now. Another shocker was uh, Netherlands, 93 kilos per person. So that's like 50% more than the Irish yes. um,
0: counter. But I think Netherlands, to be fair, they've kind of um, gone a bit, they've got the fancy, because they do a lot of those potato croquette type things. Yeah. You know, so as Ireland is a straight potatoes, really, sort of thing. Or chips, probably. Yeah.
1: So anyway, there's a lot of myth-busting going on here. Irish people do not live on potatoes alone, which is... Uh, the stereotypical view would we, we, have it. <laughs> uh, and I'm off to have a big pot of potatoes just as soon as we're finished to get the national average up. I,
0: I, you're making me hungry now. and I know, I know we're not having potatoes tonight. Uh, we're having rice. But anyway, so we'll, we'll have to make do that. Tomorrow night, maybe potatoes, for sure. So. <laughs>
1: I'll tell you who's had quite a lot of potatoes uh, in the build-up to the game on Saturday is La Rochelle Rugby Club. Terry, that was awesome. some performance they put in against Leinster to win the Champions Cup.
0: They did. and Again, yeah. The the, the obviously subplot here was um Ron uh, Nagara versus you know ex-Monster coming back to Dublin to beat Leinster in their home patch. But I watched the game live and the first 20, 30, 25 minutes, it was Leinster were just all over them. And there was one point, I think, where if Leinster had got the next try, I really think they would have had it in the bag. But Larochell were just a machine in the second half. A few key things which makes me worried for Ireland. James Ryan went off. And as soon as he got yeah. that pack didn't didn't look the same. Um Ross Byrne wasn't quite as catchy as Sexton would be. And they made a few mistakes. And Ty Furlong was one bit at the end of the first half. Ty Furlong was running down the pitch and he looked absolutely knackered. You could yeah, tell he was smuggling and yeah. So he, he, uh, he did go off early
1: and I would agree with you about as soon as James Ryan um left the pitch, um the the, um, the fizz went out out of the, the forwards. But I mean they were beasted up front. I mean some of the scrums in the second half oh, yeah, were, were yeah. pretty pretty terrible viewing from from a Leinster point of view. And you're right, I think maybe you know, Sexton being injured, um Made a difference as well. I think Ross Burns, you know, a a decent out half, but uh, in a real pressure situation like that, he's still a bit untested, isn't
0: he? Yeah, there wasn't there wasn't much to it, and it does. If I was Leinster, I would be slightly worried because that you know that I think was their golden generation of team. um, As far as it stands, I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised to see a few more people after the World Cup. I don't maybe the international boots, but maybe just give it up full stop. And they've got, I mean, Leicester got a suite of players. They've got the biggest squad in Europe of professional players. Um, But maybe the qualities are just not quite there, I don't know. Yeah, well, well,
1: I mean, th- this was a match where they needed to grind out a result, and uh, La Rochelle really showed them how to do it with uh, some some really. It wasn't sparkling rugby; it was no. the brutal variety. But uh, it, it was great, great thing to watch. And, you know, Leinster were in it right up until the end when that ridiculous flying headbutt went in. <laughs> yeah that was I mean, no, was I mean
0: it was certainly well spotted by the referee I think or the linesman or the TMO whatever it was but um, yeah that was just I mean at that point they were pushing for a try and that was just the end of it and you know the French rugby the night before Toulon had absolutely thumped Glasgow Warriors the score made it look a bit slightly more even it was 41-19 I think but the French rugby yeah certainly at the minute certainly on top I think so
1: yeah, uh, another team that's on top is Manchester City. Oh, sorry, um, what? Two? Yeah, yeah, Manchester City. Fifth league title in six years. It's amazing what money can do, Terry, isn't
0: it? It is. Although, does Pep Guardiola know how many people do fancy football? And then he leaves out Haaland on, on a Sunday where he probably <laughs> would have scored a hatful. full. I mean, it's costing me money. Literally, <laughs> potentially. Um No, I mean what can I say? I mean, he played a crap team, not a crap team, but you know, a few youngsters and stuff, and they still easily won the game. And so I think season was, I mean, said someone said to me, Arsenal were on top for 97% of the season. I don't know how they worked that out, but it's only been top at the end. that counts, I guess.
1: Yeah, well, well, this is it. And I mean, they just didn't have the strength and depth in their squad when it came to um, no. playing a 38 game season that they, they, uh, they didn't have um, guys to replace the likes of Gabriel, uh, Jesus, or even you know when players were a bit lacking in form and maybe needed a rest, they couldn't do it. They just didn't have the
0: uh, no. uh, the means to do it. I think City looked, I, think, I was looking back through, through their whole season, just some scores and results and things. They've had a very, I thought it was their backroom staff, but they've had very few injuries. Hallam was injured for maybe a game or two, but they've had not too many injuries of players to Bruyne's. In a few, but you know, has been amazing. Rodri was fantastic. Even that guy, Nathan Akey, he's he's done he's brought the best out of him, I think. So um there's no doubt that they were you know, just scraped ahead, but the quality was there. And um in fact they got Halliburton for fifty million quid. Um kind of makes you think what happened, that's an amazing deal of the century, I think. So
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he looks like a bargain. And uh, there is no doubt some players have improved this year. I mean you you're you're right to uh point out about Aki who always used to worry me um, when I saw him on the team sheet mm. and likewise John Stones but John Stones has had a terrific uh, mm. last couple of months as well so um, I, I think they can look forward to the Champions League final with um, a sense of optimism really against Inter
0: Yeah I think so, there was one bit, again go back to Champions League and obviously there's a bit of a smaller story about the guy Vinicius Junior You know, he absolutely got absolutely racially abused at the weekend in Valencia which was absolutely horrendous um, but there was one bit in the semi-final where he was bombing down the left wing on goal and Kyle Walker easily caught him up and went past him. And I thought, I didn't think Kyle Walker was that fast, actually, but, um, i say, but that fight was very impressive, I thought. So but um, just shows you a few issues in Spanish football, that's for sure.
1: Uh, oh yes, I mean um, the uh, racist taunts of Vinicius Junior um, uh, seem to be a surprise to nobody apart from the, the Spanish FA. I mean, <laughs> I mean that, that's gone on for years, hasn't it? I mean, yeah. there've been um, countless seasons where, where there've been complaints by um, British-based. Uh, non-white players, uh, who feel they've been, uh, y- you know, victimized in uh, countries like Spain and Italy due to the, yeah. the racism of the fans. Eh,
0: yeah, and and even you know, the like I said, it's the Spanish, the FA, whatever they're called, people that run La Liga, to seem to be completely, sort of, literally colorblind to the to the problem. You know, so it's just, yeah, and I think that, of- that guy's going to leave Real Madrid in the summer. I'm almost certain of it now. I think he'll. Pushed to move and he'll they'll probably sell them on, I would imagine, somewhere else.
1: But. Yeah, apparently the cops have arrested seven uh, fans, so um, uh, be interested to see what happens. Uh, we'll, we'll be keeping an eye on that uh, on that story. And where do you think Vinicius Jr. is going to end up? Uh, Paris? Old,
0: Traff- Old Trafford, yeah. Old Trafford, yeah. <laughs> Dream on. I
2: apparently, know.
0: apparently your roof is leaking there, Terry. I was reading well, earlier. Yes, yeah, so well, but you you think about it, he's, he's Brazilian, so you've got what have you got? Does Neymar's going to leave Paris, I reckon? So you've got Casemiro and Fred, you know, they'll make him feel very welcome at Old Trafford, but uh, he'll end up at some, probably I wouldn't be surprised if he went to Bayern Munich or something, actually, some team like that. I think so. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I'm a good player, but uh, no, well done Man City, and I think a couple of weeks' time, the FA Cup final, and then it's the 10th of June, very late for. um, Yeah. Um, you're obviously doing something else on the tenth of June.
1: I'm doing something else on the tenth of June. I'm going to see um, the uh, Blur and Pet Shop Boys at um, Primavera in Porto. And Blur are back not just as a, a, a live mm-hmm. act, but um, they announced uh, quite surprisingly a new album last week. Terry, yes, the Ballad of Darren. Does that do it for you as a title?
0: I, I I'm curious. I thought it was. The, I, like, I read it wrongly without my glasses. I thought it was a ballad of Damon. I thought it was a bit kind of up themselves <laughs> sort of thing. Um. No, I, I listened. To,
1: like. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. That's, that's it. to the, sort of the single. Do you want of it? So it's pretty good. I like. I love the photograph of the cover, which is also done a bit for the um the Lido and Guruk at the minute. So
1: yes, it, um, it has indeed. Uh, the new single is called the Narcissist, and uh, it is actually a lot better than. Uh, the stuff that they brought out for um the Magic Whip eight years ago, which was a real kind of, uh, uh, apparently, yeah. da- Damon Albarn didn't want it released, but um relented at the last minute and did yeah. some vocals for it.
0: Um, I saw I saw a thing this week. You know, everyone claims to have been to see uh Oasis and King Tut's so last the gig. There's thousands of people went to that. I want to see this week, thousands of people, tens of thousands, seem to have seen Blur and Eastbourne this week. Um when well, they seem to a the small club and everybody has been there apparently, but it did look a really good gig, I think. So um yeah, yeah,
1: I'm I'm really looking forward to that. Did see them years ago on the Think Tank tour, but that was without Graham Coxon, so it'll be yeah. be nice to see the um, the original uh lineup back. Um somebody else who's um about to start touring, and maybe he's actually started already. Yeah, must have done. Uh, Roger Waters This Is Not A Drill is the name of the tour and uh, he'll be playing in Prague uh, next week Terry and they're doing a cinecast of this gig and th- this is on in Aberdeen I think next Thursday and yes. the prices are
0: eye watering Well you were saying you showed me the view one which was what 20 quid but the world is 22 maybe there's some booking fees in there but um, Metallica was sub 20 quid I think for the seventy-two seasons, kind of preview launch album thing, but I mean, this one actually might be better value because I guess you should do a couple of hours in a bit, maybe.
1: Well, the program starts at seven forty-five, and it's over at eleven o'clock. Oh, that's well, that's decent value then. Yeah? So that's going to be a bum-numbing night out, that isn't it?
0: I mean, let's give you some free popcorn with it or something. But uh, no, I, I had a look at Sydney World today, and it was it was fairly. I think it was 10 seats sold so far. I <laughs> so I, I wouldn't like, I mean, I'm sure it'll be get, it'll get busier to come up to it, but it is certainly cheaper than going to see him in concert because there was tickets still to see him at the Hydro in Glasgow. And I had to look at one of the floor seats because there was quite a lot of floor seats available. And um, they were, I know, maybe 400 quid or something. So, oh, um, so I thought maybe maybe not for me. Not not quite as much Selton John were looking for the, Close up tickets, but not far from that though.
1: Yeah, well, you should go to the view if you're going to watch this because they've got a super saver deal, which is uh, for the Prince <laughs> of Summon nine nineteen pounds ninety nine, Terry. So you can save yourself two pounds <coughs> and a penny. And You probably could get, well, a very small beaker of popcorn for that, couldn't you?
0: I mean, yeah, I might, I might do it. I mean, I see. I, funny when you mentioned that to me, I started looking. They've got loads of events on now. They're doing the uh, who's that guy? The Viennese uh, of uh, Andre Roux. Is yeah. Doing a live event, I think he was in Aberdeen recently. So, um yeah, all sorts. It's a good way of making money, I guess. It, it
1: most certainly is. And, I mean, it, it, I mean, it, bearing in mind you can have the gig in cinemas all around Europe, uh, yeah. or pay per view, or that kind of thing. So, um yeah, fans aren't stupid these days, eh? Oh.
0: Well, one one thing, which uh, this is this little, I know it's a little sidestep to that, but it was interesting this week because the Foo Fighters did a live event this week to kind of don't know what you call it, sort of re-engage themselves. It was it was called preparing music for the tour sort of thing. And it was live on an app that I'd never seen before called Veep. So basically you had to download Veep, obviously. That was the catch to it and register. And then you got it for free. So you could watch it live for free. And then you could watch it for three days for free. So basically Monday, Tuesday and tomorrow. So you could watch this one-hour show with a new drummer. And they played sort of all the few hits and had a bit of kind of almost like forced banter actually. Um, but I was looking at the Veep, because obviously there's other stuff on it. So the likes of Fleet Foxes were selling their live show, but it was fifteen dollars um US and I couldn't see, I couldn't find the price for the UK in it, but it's maybe a thing for the future. People are this would be a bigger audience to pay fifteen, twenty quid and sit in the living room, maybe I don't
1: know. Yeah. So the Foo Fighters was an in the studio live performance I take it, is it? Yeah,
0: it was in their what do they call it, studio six six six. So they were kind of all in a kind of a round circle with the new drummer, Josh Bob, who's a bit of a beast, by the way. I mean, they were playing some songs very fast and he was keeping up with no trouble whatsoever. Um, He does look a bit of a Taylor Hawkins-like, apart from the lot, he's got quite short hair, but he's blonde Californian, honestly. Um, super talented, also from the punk rock bands, I think it was before. So they kind of, kind of punked up some of their songs a bit more lively. Um decent enough, actually. I mean they always do a good show, but um it was it was okay, yeah.
1: Good. Well, new albums out in a couple of weeks, so we'll we'll look forward to reviewing that when when it comes to it. Uh great. Okay. Uh well uh tonight we've also got uh, a chat that we did uh, a few days ago with um, Ross Gordon from the Cold Years. Um uh Ross was on the show back in September twenty twenty and uh he's back to tell us what they've been doing since then. Here's our chat. We're delighted to be joined once again by Ross Gordon of Cold Years. Ross, the last time we spoke to you, it was September, 2020, and you were planning a couple of outdoor dates in Germany because frankly, that's all you could do at that point. Tell us what happened
2: next. Uh, I spent most of 2021 um, making an album and then spent most of 2022 touring it. (laughs) That's what happened next. <laughs> it was uh it was weird. It was like this weird time where we were only allowed to do certain things and then um all of a sudden we'd made a new record and we were out touring all over Europe with it. So yeah, it was it was a weird couple of years, but I'm so glad that all of that stuff is behind us and it's kind of getting back to normal now. So it's nice to be out doing it all the time again, which is good.
0: So but, um see the touring in Europe piece. I mean, how was that also I mean Brexit, I guess, has that had an effect on you getting around Europe and stuff or
2: well, you know what's weird? It didn't really affect us too badly in twenty twenty-two because we had all of the paperwork and stuff, and you know, they weren't really doing any of the checks and it wasn't that expensive. But now uh I mean I'm going on tour next week and I mean, everything's doubled in cost, like the fuel's insane, the van hire's insane, the hotels are insane, the paperwork even has doubled in cost, checks at the border are insane. I mean, I'm smuggling merchandise and cabinets to get it through customs. Like, that's how it's going right now. So it's like, it's it's fucking awful. <laughs>
0: so so would you be, I mean, uh, this glamorous vision of people with, you know, flying between venues, you'd be driving between venues everywhere and driving across borders, I guess.
2: Yeah, pretty much. Um, I mean, most of the time, this date, these dates that we have coming up in uh, in May and June, they're all like it's like a month worth of touring. So that is road transport. We have some dates in July in Germany, which is flying, and then all the festivals will be flying. You know that that's relatively straightforward, um, but the road one. I mean we have two set we have a lot of borders to cross we're going to Ireland and then coming back to the UK mainland and then going across to Europe and oh, it's like it's tough <laughs> it's a lot of stress so um, in terms in terms of the paperwork
1: you do you have to get one of these things called a carnet is it to allow you to carne's, move
2: forward? GMRs I mean you have to declare merchandise you have to declare the cost of all the goods you have to have insurance you have to I mean it, the whole thing is just like I mean, I, I have no idea how bands who don't have a label get by, and even that that world's changing. You know, like tour support and stuff is changing the way that it's worked out is changing. We're putting a lot of stuff on credit cards and just hoping that it works out. It's the kind of like the kind of thing you're kind of having to do now because you know the world's changed so much. So, uh,
0: so are touring you've got a label. So, will they, will they have somebody or a, I wouldn't call them a fixer, but whoever you want to call it, kind of assist you with that, or at least kind of point you yeah. in the direction, or
2: We have a manager who helps us with a lot of the admin stuff, but you know, the most of it, you just have to kind of pick it up and run with it as you, you know, and learn and find Mm -hmm. out. It's funny. I I, can I swear on this podcast. Yes. Yeah, sure. We we have a we have an an unknown. We have a funny name for this tour coming up. We call it the fuck it fuck around and find out tour because this tour (laughs) this tour is like a it's a it's a totally new concept for all of us. Like you know, like and. I think like the way the law and stuff is now, I mean, actually, it's, it's even worse, actually, I'm I'm lying to you, I've actually got three borders to cross, because I have to go into Ireland, then Europe, then over to Switzerland, and, and in like there's so many different complexities with that. And each of these border agencies finds a new way to charge you money to enter their country. And you know, I think it's a fundamental. Uh, it's a lesson. You know, we should never have left the European Union. It's the dumbest thing we've ever done as a country.
0: So, the easiest one probably you're going to have. Because I see you're playing. So you're you're going to kick off in Belfast at the Limelight, which is i yeah, I'm
2: so excited! I've never been to Belfast before, so this is cool. Well, uh, it's, it's a great,
0: it's a great venue. The Limelight. I've been there a couple of times for gigs. It's uh, first all, I went. I was quite surprised at how good the venue was for a start, but it is fantastic. But obviously, getting from there and then to Dublin to the Academy, there's no border control. There, I don't Uh, think.
2: Cool little drive. We're staying at a little house in the country on the way. Can't wait. It's going to be great. I love Ireland. My partner's from Ireland, so it's like it's one of my favorite places on earth. So you need Uh, to get a
1: need to get a PO box address in Belfast and just do all of your uh, touring from there.
2: Well, you never know. It could be easier than doing it from here. I'll tell you something. It's, it's uh, honestly, man, like I'm I cannot believe we're in this situation. It makes me feel really sad for bands that are starting out. I have no idea how they're supposed to do it anymore. When we first started going to Europe, I mean, we were paying for it all ourselves, off our own backs, using our wages to pay for vans. And to be fair, there's still an element of that, but not as much. Um, but I think like, you know, I don't know how bands I mean, it's pretty much closed off accessible touring in Europe and indeed even in the UK with well, the way things are cost wise now unless you're buying an old banger of a van and praying that it makes it to the next town which we did by the way and ours didn't so I, I think you know it's it's a really really tough tough gig now for people starting out um,
1: and, and you got the uh, additional problem that uh, a lot of venues are closing Ross aren't they I mean uh, uh, within Britain yeah. this hardly a week goes by but you hear of a significant venue in trouble or landlords wanting to evict them or or close them down?
2: My hometown suffered that horrible fate from the city council, you know, closing down venues to make space for real estate, pandering to landlords who didn't like noise. You know, it's killing um, a lot of the independent music culture in the UK. And it's a shame because you know all that's going to be left are the big venues you know nobody's going to go to a bar and watch a band anymore even trying to get musical licensing in the UK is a, a, an absolute disaster and um, so for me it, yeah it's sad but you know the venues that are still left are doing a great job is trying to keep it alive so, did you-, Europe, so it's
0: <laughs> did you move to Glasgow then before you recorded the Goodbye to Misery album was that just kind of it was a
2: weird one it was halfway through the writing process so it was really strange because it's like it's almost like two records because some of the songs reflect living in a totally different place and and it's definitely a lot more urban here it's a lot more close-knit you know communities are communities you have uh so many different cultures and it's like a mixing pot and there's live music every night and there's a million things to do and see and go Whereas in Aberdeen all I did was drink every single day because there was nothing else to do so it's uh it's totally different here
0: yeah so you, you can kind of tell you know, my my daughter lives in Glasgow my wife's from there and you're right the Glasgow kind of music scene is, is pretty vibrant there's a lot of little venues but also they have these little pockets of you know where it's Byers Road or Shawland or Western Road nice little areas a bit like Edinburgh as well Michael but you know, I think Aberdeen misses that out a little bit, so it's got a nice vibe about it. So
2: it does, and it's a shame because Aberdeen's such a great place, you know, it has so much to offer. I just think it's a little secluded now. And instead of spending money on stupid signs telling you that you're in Aberdeen, maybe the council could uh, reinvigorate the live music side of it, but, maybe put some culture <laughs>
0: that, that move kind of it is the new album, it's been out for a year now, but it does have a more expensive, expansive feel to it, especially the kind of opener. 32 following on from sort of 31 ticking clock sort of thing but it is a bit more of a different sign I think as you've got now isn't it so
2: yeah and it's transferring well into the next one which is coming and that you know it's it's weird because you I think as as you get older and as you like I'm 35 this year like I you know I've been doing this for a long time now and I think like the the every record you write you learn something and you you find a new way to express yourself, and I think like like the last record was a prime example of that, where we kind of got moved from. We still had some traces of what we were doing before, but I think it sounds a little harder, it's a little different, it's a little grittier, and I think that's something that we're pushing uh, quite quite hard on. So
1: yeah, and you're you're getting a bit more traction now, aren't you? I mean, just a, a you know glance at uh, YouTube and like you, you know you've got a couple of songs there that have got hundreds of thousands of clicks on them and uh, i was particularly intrigued with um life with the view uh which features a mexican singer jose madero um, yeah that's a, this, that's is how
2: it. <laughs> this is an interesting collaboration tell us how this came about so the song actually didn't feature him on it we actually it's on the record <laughs> on the release it's it's just us but uh during covid uh this mexican guy messaged us and was like I was just scrolling through Spotify and I found your band and I really liked you. And I was wondering if I could cover one of your songs. And I had no idea who this guy was. I thought he was just like, like a normal dude. And it turns out he's actually a pretty big deal in Mexico. Yeah. Uh, and and we, and the whole idea was that we were going to let him cover the song um, and take no money from it. But in the, in the on the condition that we would play some shows in, in South America with him. And it just happened literally as COVID hit. So he uh, recorded the songs, and then reneged on the tour. So we got left with no tour dates. No, but, but you know, it was really cool. It, it, we somehow now have a massive following, following of fans on Instagram from Mexico. So it worked out pretty good, and our record sales went up in in South America. So for one, at one point, I think our like if you look at our Spotify demographic, I think at one point the biggest listen, like the our biggest listener base, was in South America for like three months, and it was really really cool to have that. So you did us. I mean-
0: I think touring somewhere in South America, you see these gigs. I was watching something recently. What the hell was it? Argentina somewhere, and the crowd were going absolutely mental. Like so, there. I mean, they're so, and especially the kind of you know your type of rock, you know, whatever you want to call it, sort of alternative. This is rock music to me, but you know, they're crazy for that. Well, surely you can blag some gigs over there now,
2: though. Well, we're going to be in the US quite a bit next year, and I'm going there in a couple of months actually, but they to do some other stuff. But the the thing about um the the Mexican side of it South America we'd always said we'd rope that back into the equation whenever we get to go so it's going to be coming I just uh I just I don't know it like for me like doing that and then spending a couple of days in Cancun on a beach would be pretty clear. I mean, that's
1: like yeah. the, 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 and, and after all this uh you know cross-border excursions the whole you know idea of going across at El Paso you know, it'll be a walk in the park for hey,
2: you. It'll be nothing to compare to Calais. Like I'm. <laughs> <laughs> you no,
0: know, but to be honest, I'm not sure Cancun's as nice a beach as Balmeri Beach. That's for I mean <laughs> oh, look,
2: hey, don't get me wrong. I love Balmeri Beach. I spent a lot of time in there as a kid. So, uh, yeah. But, I
0: mean, you, you've actually done a couple of cover versions. I mean, you did the Slade "Merry Christmas Everybody" as well. That was a good laugh. I did enjoy that though
2: yeah you know that was a weird one because we i remember being in the studio making goodbye at misery and i said to dan who's our label rep i was like i really 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 love the cult she sells sanctuary it's like it's one of my favorite songs i really want to cover it and he goes well that's funny because my girlfriend nicola duffy is related to billy duffy who plays." Oh, wow. so he was like we'll ask them. And they were like, yeah, you can go and you can record the song. So then we we went and we we were sitting in the studio, like putting it together. And uh, basically the label turned around and said, well, we're paying for you to do this. So at the same time, we we want you to record a Christmas song for fun. And it was, it was the Merry Christmas, everyone. And I was like, I don't like the original. It's one of my most I hate that song. And I was like, let's just make it super punky and super fun and just take the piss with it. And we did that. Oh. We did a bunch of photos covered in tinsel in, in Byers Road, oddly enough. Um, and just you know, had a had fun with it. But that that was probably one of the most drunken student studio experiences in my life. <laughs> we went to Captain Tom's in Aberdeen, Louis engineered the whole thing, and we just locked ourselves in there for three days straight and drank god knows how much wine and recorded those two songs, and it was it was really, really fun.
1: Yeah. yeah, I think you had the right idea there. You know, don't be too fa- too faithful to the original there because, you know, Shaky's take is a wee bit cheesy. I mean, you've done other cover versions. You did Lizzo's Good As Hell as well. What, what do you look for in sort of choosing an artist or a song to cover, Ross? Is there anything that really kind of floats your
2: boat in terms of stuff to play? You kind of hit it on the nail on the head there when you said, like, you have to make it kind of your own. And I, I always think, like... You know, for us, Lizzo was a challenge with that because it's a completely different kind of music. But the message behind that song was amazing. And I always look at lyrics as a, a sort of starting point point. Um, and maybe just songs that like have inspired us. Like, you know, one song I've always wanted to cover, but one of my favorite bands beat us to it is like Surrender by Cheap Trick. It's like one of my favorite oh. songs. Of- <laughs> and the 30 Nil covered it. If you haven't heard it, it's one of the best cover songs I've ever heard in my freaking life. But it's so heavy. And sounds so different to the original, but still got that little key change and it's still got all the harmonies. And oh. I, I just, yeah, like stuff like that. It's, it's just, yeah, I love that, it. That, love that is
0: one of my favourite songs ever, Surrender. And we went to C-Chip Trick in uh, the O2 in Glasgow. It must have been pre-COVID. And to be honest, everybody was just waiting for that song. I mean, they had other good songs, clearly. But then they played it and they brought a support act who were called, they were a Glasgow rock band, something, something lame. Anchor Lane was it? I liked the one to sing with it and it was a a laugh. I I think we would have had the whole audience on if they could have done it actually.
2: To me, it's one of the best songs ever written and the subject matter that it covers is so (laughs) interesting. Like, I I mean, I mean, right, it's about like Vietnam and heroin and like all this weird stuff and like, yeah, yeah, it's it's just just so great. It's like the, it's like the cumulative of glam punk and I just love it so much and Rick Nielsen is one of the coolest guys on the planet. So, for me, yeah, it's just such a, so you, you
0: seem you seem very calm today, but in about a week's time you are heading out to support Billy Talent yeah. on some gigs around. So how did that come about that too? Are they a label mate or
2: uh, no? So well, kind of and kind of not. I, I remember we played Slendunk, uh a couple of years, last year, and I remember getting really drunk with some forty one outside their bus, and I, I remember like, we were drinking tequila and all this kind of stuff, and it just got a little out of hand. And CT, who is the owner of our label, founded he, he made some 41. He managed them years ago when they were going through their all killer, no filler stage, right? It's one of my favorite yeah. albums of all time. And he pulled me inside and he was like, Oh, you know, something's gonna happen with this. And turns out that he knew their man Billy Talent's management really well. And they kind of they kind of said to us, like, you know, we're gonna pitch you for this. It's probably not gonna come off. Like, you're probably not gonna get it. You're probably not gonna get any chance of this. And we were like, okay. And then we got the offer and then all of a sudden like on the bill as well there's like frank turner there's like the menzingers then we have all these festivals like anti-flag and all this stuff and i it just kind of the ball started rolling and then we were like okay well let's just put some like headline dates in and then it was like oh well actually let's just add some festivals and before we knew it it was like four weeks of, of okay of, so it was really cool and you know what i I'm a big fan of that band. So Billy really Talent, I grew up listening to music. So for me, and I, I've been watching a lot of YouTube footage of them live and I'm like, holy shit, these guys are the real deal. Well, that's, what I was doing last,
0: that's what I ended up doing last night, I say. So they like 13 million views on their videos and stuff. And I...
2: oh, they, they're the biggest band out of Canada in God knows how long. Like they just, they are, I mean, they're incredible and their live show looks nuts. And, I'm really stoked on the fact that some of these venues are. I mean, we've played to like 10, 15,000 people in copper box or at the ACC or doing anything like that. But this is totally different because these are all two-sized venues, and one of them in France is like four and a half thousand people. All the shows on the tour are sold out. It's going to be nuts, and I'm just really, really stoked on doing it. So, um,
0: see the Frank, the Frank Turner. Is he that kind of? Is that kind of a double header thing? How does that work? I saw he on some dates.
2: So he's on some of the dates and he's supporting them. And then we're all playing with the Menzingers in France. And I think the Menzingers are headlining those dates and we open up for all of them, which if if you know me, is my dream scenario because it means I get to go on, do a half hour of power and then watch three of my favorite bands play side stage in front of four and a <laughs> half hours ago. And the best thing is you get a sound check because you're on first. So all your gear has to be set up. You don't have to worry about changeovers. You just get a play and load off and... Drink beer and watch music. It's the dream. So uh, how do you? So how do you
0: approach? I always wonder about support bands because obviously, I'm not being negative, but you know people are there to see Billy Talent or whatever. So how how do you guys? I mean, there are only people. I I would go to see some bands for supports, but how do you approach your set list for that? You kind of just you you have time for filler, have you? You just gotta.
2: Well, I think it's that we have three sets for this run. We have like the headline set. Uh, plus like plus like headline fest because we're headlining one festival on this run and we have our own headline dates and that's like an hour and 20 and it's up and down and up and down and up and down then we have a 45 minute set because in some of these billy shows we're playing we're main support and we're playing festival slots around that time which is kind of again bigger songs but it's not it's not as intense and then the 30 minute one which is the opener is where you basically just You want to grab everybody in that room's attention as quickly as possible. So we just play all the heavy stuff, banging, banging. And we do loads of crowd participation stuff. We've carved out loads of time in the songs to do that, giving them more fun feel, you know, getting them to sing back, doing loads of fun, like it's nuts. I think this is probably the most preparation we've ever put into a tour on that side of things and trying to gauge how songs will go down at specific points in the set. We call yeah. it the half hour of power because that's what it is. It's it's literally just all of the big songs over 30 minutes.
1: Yeah,
2: but I guess you been into two- As two- that
1: old shampoo ad says, you never get a second chance to
2: make a first impression, Ross. So you got okay. the right attitude. Go on there and sell the hell out of your t-shirts as well. That's like the thing. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah you just need to remind people that you're a poor musician and you need money to get to the next city that's yeah. just loads of feedback and playing songs really fast That's so we just, do it
0: just on the merchandise front actually i was speaking to somebody else a while ago when they were talking and i never, never realized this either that some venues take a cut of your
2: merchandise sale it won't be on this one because we won't be fucking paying it no <laughs> i think no, that's no. it look you know like, i'm not going to beat around the bush here like support as a support act you don't get paid that much so you make all your money from merchandise i think it's disgusting that venues do that and if anybody tries to take a cut of our merch they'll be told to go fuck off that's yeah. how i
0: go with it well it was, it was um it was a bell band for belfast called New pagans and they were playing support at. i'm pretty sure it was it was brixton academy and their guitarist actually also plays with frank turner apparently so you may come across him but they were having to pay 45
2: percent cut of the market, market Why are they getting that when they're making a cut off the bar already? Yeah, that's, that's my fact. argument. Is cool. Well, we're keeping everybody entertaining here, so give us a cut off the bar. That's always my argument to that. And I know in, a, in the US particularly, it's seen as a thing that happens a lot. It doesn't really happen a lot in Europe. We've not really had any experience of it, even in bigger venues like we played with La Gwaggen in Columbia Hall last year in Germany, and and it was like they didn't come ask us for any money for merchandise. So I think like the general rule of thumb is the US is real bad for it, but the UK seems to be living that live. So yeah. and you,
1: you see some other, sorry, Terry, you see some other bands uh, down South, you know, where a venue has got a bad rep for doing precisely that in terms, of taking a big chunk of um, merchandise sales that they actually set up at a pub across the road and just yeah. invite their fans in there instead, which is a smart a way around it. I think.
2: It's absolutely like you know i mean come on like have some savvy like why would you want to give away 50 percent of your fee as someone who realistically like for me the only time a venue should be taking a cut of your merchandise is if they're utilizing their own stuff to sell it in that yeah. inst- in that instance i completely get it okay but when it comes to we're you because our tour manager is my partner neve she she sells all our merch right She's putting all this effort in to sell merchandise for some guy that's just going to come in and take a cut of it. He's done nothing but sit in an office all night and watch a security camera screen. Come on. It's yeah. not it's not okay. And realistically, to give musicians a chance after having two years of basically no touring, mm. you'd think they'd let us have a break, but they yeah, don't. Absolutely. So, one thing about you
0: mentioned Germany there. I mean, I was thinking, look at all your dates over the last kind of previous year and coming forward. You play a lot of dates in Germany. So what, what is it about Germany that attracts them to cold years?
2: You know, I'm not going to compare us to the Beatles because that would be dumb. But <laughs> anyways, I actually think like it's that Hamburg thing. It's always mm. been that Hamburg thing. You know, like for us, it was the first place we went to in Europe. And for some strange reason, it's still the best place for us to play. We still sell. We can sell out venues in Hamburg at the snap of a finger. And I have no idea why. I, I genuinely do not understand why Germans love Scottish punk rock music so much or or bands from the UK. But the, you know what? They get behind them and they follow them and they buy the merch and they buy the tickets and they come to the shows and they sing along and they want to talk to you and have a beer after. And it's just, in this country, in the UK, it just doesn't happen to the same magnitude that it happens over there. And for us, Germany is like a second home. We owe so much to that country in specific territories. I mean, if you were to look at places like Trier, or Berlin, or Cologne, or Hamburg. We have such a strong following in those districts, and I have no idea why. And I'll never be able to tell you why it happens, because I don't know. But it worked. <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit like the football
0: thing. I went to Hamburg for Christmas, and we went to a St. Pauli football game, which yeah. I thought was the start was absolutely terrifying, because it was like they're all dressed in black, and they're really intense, and they play this really heavy metal music for the bank about, and the lights go off, and it's like it's like a gig. Not sporting event. Yeah. We yeah, played a, at
2: the stadium for, yeah. for like in a box and it was just chaos. Yeah. yeah.
0: Went to a good. bar afterwards and they were playing heavy metal punk music in the bar. It was, it was good. I liked Hamburg. Actually.
2: It's really, it's one of my favourite places on earth. I could live in, if I had the choice between living in this country and living there, I would live there in a, in a heartbeat. It's just such a beautiful, cultural, independent punk city that people just do what they want. They don't give a shit. And it's like the cult like the graffiti all over the walls, people are skateboarding down the streets in front of cars. Like you can buy a beer for a euro and drink it on the street, and no one gives you into trouble. Like it's just such a cool place. Like it's awesome. Love it. Yeah,
1: it's uh, you know, a port town. It's not that like Aberdeen in that respect, is it?
2: <laughs> I don't know. We get arrested for spitting on the street where I come from. So realistically, no. But I mean, you know, the thing is like, I don't know. It's got, the, I think maybe that is maybe some of the appeal though, because visually it is quite grey and it does kind of remind me a little bit of home, like and the harbour and yeah, the stuff. It, I guess that's in the weather too, because it's in the north, so it's pretty cold.
0: Well, we went, uh, we went down to the harbour to the, there's like these old warehouses, which are kind of the UNESCO World Heritage Site, and that was interesting to walk about. But I thought it was quite a reasonably pretty place, I think, but it was a bit grey.
2: Uh, I just love it there.
0: Oh, poor cold.
1: So you got you got a busy summer, Ross. Um, uh, Touring will I I take it it will sort of uh, ease out as the festivals finish um, at the end of the summer. What what's next for cold years after that?
2: Well, we're going we're hopping over the pond to do some stuff for a month, uh, and that should be wrapped probably by the end of September, and then we will be potentially I don't know like the label keep telling us like you need to stop touring so much and I'm like no I don't don't want to stop touring so much I think it really depends I think we might do some stuff in October November we might not we're definitely going to play home in December I think we're going to come to Aberdeen. I think we're going to do something in Aberdeen in December I think that we'd always said you know we always do we try to do a Christmas show every year and I really want to do it this year it's like I miss home so much and I think then it's going to be touring, 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 touring constantly, pretty much from January onwards, we're out and that's it. I won't be coming home for a very long time, which is great. And, you know, I think it's, um, you know, we've been writing the record now for God, probably the guts of a year and it's kind of coming to the point now where we're almost ready to go and do that. And I think like naturally any band, like you, you want to just go out and as soon as that's done, you just want to go out and tour and that's what we're going to do next year. And, you know, as long as nothing goes catastrophically wrong, that's what we'll do. So where will
0: you record that? In Scotland or somewhere else? Or?
2: I can't really tell you, but uh, it's not in this country. It's, okay. it's, over, it's over a big ocean. Okay.
1: Oh, excellent. And um, are, are any of these songs going to get road tested before uh, you go into the studio? We are there any of them over the summer?
2: We are a road testing a couple this tour. And, you know, that's funny because it ne- we're never allowed to do that, ever. But this time the label were like, yeah, just do what you want. So we kind of we've incorporated some new stuff into this set that people won't have heard yet, which is cool. Um, which I'm excited about. So
0: how, yeah. how, you were saying you work as well. How do you manage to get time off from work? That's like sounds like a brilliant job oh. for
2: me. <laughs> well, I mean <laughs> let's see how long that lasts. Because oh. I think I think that this, this runs hard enough. I don't know if I'll still have a job by the time we reach the end of summer, but uh you just gotta I guess. I try to just be polite, and I tend to do a lot of overtime, and I tend to try and work as hard as I can when I'm here. And I've got a really understanding and boss, and you know, hopefully it stays that way. And if it doesn't, then well, that's good. yeah another one if you do not work well, out. I
0: think you'll have a great opening. I think the opening night's in Belfast at the Limelight, isn't it? I think it is.
2: it is. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So if you, you probably you've never been to Belfast for not far from the Limelight to the Crown Liquor Tavern, which is opposite the Europa Hotel which okay. is one of my favourite bars in Belfast. That's the best bar in Belfast, actually. So you can head around there for a pint of whatever.
2: It's Murphy's, right? You have to walk it? to the venue. Murphy's in Belfast? Is that the drink of choice? I don't know, oh. actually.
0: Oh. Probably Guinness, I would say, still, probably, or... Rock Shore Lager, I had last time. It's a local one, so it's pretty decent. So, yeah, you'd be all right. I
2: love, I love Guinness and I refuse to drink it in my own country now because I've had it in Ireland and I just refuse to drink it here now. It's, it's not so- the same, so, actually. <laughs> all right.
0: Well, sounds good. Well, look, good luck with the future. So, you've got a busy, I mean, it looks like the rest of your year is planned compared to everybody else that I know. So, that's excellent and sounds exciting.
2: Yeah. No, so, thank is you. It Thanks. For you guys? So, enjoy the tour. Thank you, and thanks for your time. Right, Terry, is
1: always good for a bit of banter, Ross, isn't
0: he? It's good, yeah. They're also back to touring. They're doing their Goodbye to Misery tour, um, heading off to Germany with Billy Talent, supporting them, um, and Frank Turner as well. So it's quite like, some Gigs are pretty decent. They're all good shows, um, all over Germany, all over Europe, and Poland, et cetera, so you'll catch them somewhere. And then he did hint at some point they're going back to record some new music later on in the year and possibly an Aberdeen gig around to Christmas time. So um they're pretty busy and he's got a very understanding employer. It lets him go off to do all these
1: uh <laughs> he certainly <laughs>
0: does. <bits and> <laughs> um we, yeah, he- but he's
1: got a um um you know an optimistic um kind of take on, on touring, which is, it is difficult for bands getting uh, across Europe uh, at the moment, isn't it? So uh um he, he needs that, really, to be able to um, move from one country to the next without uh, tearing his hair out.
0: Yeah, so no, that's pretty pretty good, actually. They start in Belfast, I think, this week, I think, and then go on to Dublin and then you know, all around Europe, uh, bits and pieces of stuff. So good luck to them. Hope they do well. I'm sure they will. So. Yeah, great.
1: Okay, uh, well, on to a couple of reviews now. We'll do the, the live stuff uh, in a minute or two, but we'll start with the um, studio albums that you have been listening to, Terry. Let's start with the National, first two pages of Frankenstein.
0: So I like, I do like, I love the National actually. It's a band I kind of a, a, got into quite late, I would say. Um, and then I saw them 2018, 2019. They played at Kelvin Grove Park. They did two nights. The first night we saw almost a tropical rainstorm. But I genuinely think it was one of those gigs that the rain made it better. It was a fantastic performance. Um, so I got into it even more. And this is they've done a few things over COVID. The guy Matt did a solo album. So this is them kind of getting back together after doing a lot of bits and pieces. And Aaron Dessner has been working with Taylor Swift and, um, although Ed Sheeran as well actually now as well I believe so. And it's a bit of a sad record. I mean, they've always been a bit of a sad band, I suppose, but this one seems particularly so. There's a few ups in it. There's the mandatory song with Taylor Swift, which is the all-cop, which is pretty decent. There's another mandatory tick with Phoebe Bridgers, which is, again, decent enough. Um, and There's a song called New Order T-Shirt, which I really like. But the rest of it is is a bit sad. It's all a bit downbeat. Um, it does feel a bit like the Taylor Swift folklore album. It's recorded in the same place at his lovely little hideaway up in the sort of northeast of uh, Maine or something like it is, the long the Long Pond studio. So it feels very melancholy. I don't know what it'll be like live. I'm going to see them in Dublin in September. Um I thought we should be good. But it's a bit flat and, and a bit and I kind of I listened to it and I was kinda of finished and I went, ah, eh, kinda of missed that a bit. So um not wildly impressed but yeah, it,
1: it's uh, the the word that uh, struck me about it is it's kind of soft. The whole thing is soft. It's got yeah. soft sound to it. Uh, the songs are soft. Um, you know, the vocals are soft as well. I mean, Taylor yeah. Swift's song is, is perfectly good. Um, she's good at doing backing vocals as well as uh, as uh, singing lead, uh, and it's. It was maybe lacking a wee bit of that kind of fidgetiness that you kind of expect from the national when they're more more in a kind of rock mode.
0: Yeah, if you go back to the boxer or or alligator and stuff, and you know definitely more sort of, even Ryland in the last album something a bit more upbeat and punchy that you kind of start to listen to. But this one I kind of got a few times and then I kind of start picking out. So I like New Order T-shirt as a song that's a really good sort of single in it. But I just thought I kept getting to the end, you know, listening to both sides and went, yeah, okay. And I'd be honest, I haven't put it back on again for, for 10 days or so. Um, but, um, and I probably will go back to it when I see them live, probably. But And sometimes songs get a new lease of life when you've heard them play, been played out. But uh, I think, I've got a feeling this could be their last album, by the way. I think this could be their, maybe um, this is it for them. But we'll see.
1: The other big question I would have about it is um, uh, how, how many of these songs are going to play live? Because if it's a live set, you're gonna you know, I, I think a live audience is gonna struggle less than at all that, isn't it?
0: I, I think so. They'll do a couple of more upbeat ones that would fit into a show, maybe. Again, so when I saw them the first time well, the only time I seen them actually, I didn't I didn't know half the set. I only heard the last couple of albums and I didn't know a lot of the older stuff and it it was so good. And the guy, unbelievable, front, I thought he was going to stand there and do a miserable kind of standing out you know, singing, but he was in the crowd, he was up the back, you know. I was stringing the microphone cable above the crowd and um you had guests come on and it was very engaging which was just, i kind of got surprised out to be honest but so fingers crossed it might it might come across live a bit a bit better hopefully yeah, and yeah. i thought i thought Dublin would be the best place to see them i don't know why i thought that but... yeah
1: okay so out of ten what would you give that one terry
0: i would give it a six six could do better if i could do better it must it must do better maybe the next time sort of thing right so it wasn't drastic but there's a symphony.
1: Yeah. So Def Leppard have got a new album out, which is called Drastic Symphonies. Yes. And it's a kind of rebooting of back catalogue stuff with the symphony
0: orchestra. Imagine that. Yeah, I mean, it's the Royal, it's the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. So it's quite a, I guess it's quite an undertaking to, to, to record with them. I didn't look, because I haven't got a copy of the record where it's recorded, but I'm guessing it's going to be Abbey Road or somewhere. Um, some fantastic place. And my only some of the songs are pretty good actually. So I, I listened to it first, I put pour some sugar on me on, which is just the opposite of how it is live or or on the record, the, the original version. And I thought this is not this is not a Def Leppard record. And then I started listening to all of some other stuff. There's quite a few of their songs from Diamond Star Halo's are on it. Um and some of it works pretty well. Switch sixty five works works really well, fantastic.
1: Which um, was not instrumental. <laughs>
0: well, yeah, but it's a, it's a song I've always liked actually, and it, it comes across really well. Animal comes across okay. Hysteria works okay, Um and some of the newer stuff works pretty decent. Too Late for Love, but I, I just, I, I, you know, it's one of those things. People aren't going to go and watch Steph Lepper with an orchestra. They want to go and see that big studio show. I mean, we talked about the reviews of their show this week in Sheffield, and they said that their show was fantastic, stadium rock sing-along stuff, and it's perfectly fine this album, I just kind of question why they thought they had to do it
1: Yeah, and I had a, a look at the kind of sleeve notes on Discogs about it, Terry, and it does look like some of the vocal tracks that they've used are the original ones from the studio album, so oh, it's, not, really? it's not like um, they have re-recorded all the vocals probably, because they couldn't oh. do it just as well now, you know, age. Yeah. H- Inevitably, has an impact on people's voices. So
0: it, it it does sound well. I think that makes sense. It does sound pretty good from from his voice. That, that makes sense, actually. Um, I'm, like somebody, I wonder if they've used other bits as well. Though maybe maybe not. I don't know. But I, I just feel as they're touring with Motley Crue, they want to put something out. Um, I guess this maybe it was a low cost way. Of, I don't know to do it, but um,
1: yeah. I I've not heard much of it. I heard the hysteria, which I thought was terrible because it it just. <laughs> It Was lacking percussion, so you know, there was yes. no beat to it as such, and it okay. just came across as being quite a meandering, yeah, you know, pleasant thing to listen to.
0: Yeah, I think so. But again, if you're going to go see Def Leppard with their support act Motley Crue this summer, I don't think you're going to be looking for the uh, Royal Philharmonic Orchestra version. um, <laughs> or, or to get your chest out, I think, as Motley Crue were hinting this week uh, in Sheffield. Um,
1: well, I, I, I sent you a link earlier for um, a review of the um, gig in Sheffield, uh, which was uh, reviewed in The Guardian. <laughs> and, uh, I, I mean, it was actually, it, it was quite complimentary to Leopard, you know, it was oh, all the yeah. time good for them. And, you know, I'd have to say, I would have thought that it might have been Leopard, that the reviewer might have been gunning for, it, but apparently not. No. And he, he, he points out that, uh, you know, uh, the crew had retired eight years ago, having conducted an apparently <laughs> legally binding agreement preventing them from playing beyond yeah, years weird. in 2015. Uh, but with the popularity of the, the, the dirt by a pick, they swiftly announced the return. On this showing, it's a calamity that said cessation wasn't irrevocable. Vince Neil's range and ability to project his voice uh, have an all but have all but abandoned him. And then Tommy Lee uh, Jones, oh, living the dream, uh, shouting out, where are all the titties? <laughs> I don't see one pair. And then a party said, shall we pull our dicks out? And I can imagine the audience going, no, 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 no.
0: <laughs> so so, so it, it's an interesting thought, right? Have you ever seen Motley Cree? No. Okay. I've seen him twice, right? Once was at Hammersmith, with the support act was Cheap Trick, and that was a good night, actually. And then the second time was in the Marquee Club in London, where they were doing a girls, girls, girls album promo gig. And we got an invite because the girl in our flat worked for Radio 2. And so we got an invite and we weren't allowed to take pictures with the band, with Death with Motley Crew. So they were there looking all glammed up in leather. And this was probably peak Motley Crew time, but you yeah, were not yeah. allowed, you were not allowed to go and speak to them. That was made very clear. If you went towards them, a bouncer would grab you, and that was it. Um, People had taken, you know, those days it wasn't selfies, you had cameras, and we'd all taken sort of portable cameras with us. No pictures, uh, no chat to the band, and they were particularly miserable. But it made made (laughs) me think, though, that bad review, that on their tour with Def Leppard, remember I said to you you can do meet and greet?
2: Yeah.
0: That's £2,000 for Motley (laughs) Crue i mean and you you may or may not get a picture with all of them it doesn't, it well, doesn't like it. Them. <laughs> i thought when i saw the review i thought geez, i mean not that i was ever going to do it but i thought two grand for that like so you know <laughs> yeah
1: well i mean i, I was at dead candies um uh, about yeah. 10 days ago in in edinburgh and i think you probably could have got your photograph with them for, for absolutely nothing
0: <laughs> well how was that though that'd be interesting
1: well, I mean, um, it, it's one of these bands where, where it's probably, you, you know, it's a, it's a bone of contention whether it is the Dead Candies or not. They, they've um, <laughs> currently currently got uh, one founding member, which is Klaus Fluoride, who is the uh, the bass player. And then they've got East Bay Ray, the guitarist, who I think was with them from fairly early on. Uh, D.H. D. Uh, Pelligro, the drummer, uh, unfortunately passed away earlier this year. And uh, they're not talking to Jello Biafra, and there's been a lot of um, legal stuff over the years about withheld royalties and um, you oh, know man. rights to, to the name and all that. So, so what you've got basically is a touring tribute band that have got uh, you know a bit of energy to them. They have got um, a guy called Skip Greer who's the front man, and you know he's not Jello Biafra, but. He uh, he definitely made a connection with the crowd and um, they played some cracking stuff. I mean, there was, um, you know, everything you'd expect them (laughs) to play, which still still sounds kind of um, vaguely contemporary, like uh, Let's Lynch the Landlord, Kill the Poor, Too Drunk to Fuck, (laughs) California, Uber Alice, uh, in Cambodia, and they also did a cover of Viva Las Vegas, and the crowd was um, interesting because it was mainly um, old punks, but there were some younger folk there as well. And we were treated to a support set from a Glaswegian, I would just describe them as a thrash metal band rather than a punk band. And they were called, um, uh, winningly, uh, Piss Bath. Yeah, Piss Bath. So anyway, uh, I, I enjoyed it highly. Um As I say, it's debatable, you know, whether um, you you would call it a a Dead Kennedys gig as such. But these bands, they're they're often much better playing now than they were back in the day, Terry, yeah?
0: Well, I guess they've learned how to play things. It's like, um, what do you call him, Stuart? Glenn Matlock, isn't he? So from the sex. But he actually could play back in the day. But, um, you know, yeah. So where was that in Edinburgh then? What he was that at?
1: Uh, it was at La Belle Angel, so it sold out. It was actually quite funny. that uh, On the, the the way in, we passed this guy. We were trying to find out what time the, the, the bands were on. And we passed this um, sort of middle-aged, uh, reasonably well-to-do guy hanging around outside okay. uh, who was looking for a ticket. And Piss Bath got him onto their, um, yes. um, their, their guest list. So he did get in, and we were talking to him inside. And, uh, you know, he, uh, he'd come down from the north of Scotland where he worked at a nuclear
0: power station. and <laughs> <laughs> had, he, had, he, had, he, had he come to see Piss Bath or was he just there too? No, no, I
1: don't think he was a Piss Bath aficionado until oh. obviously they very kindly added him to their, their guest list. Uh, but he, he, I did ask him if the um, control room at, at this nuclear power station was anything uh, like um, you know, Homer, Homer Simpson's one, and it was disappointing to hear that it wasn't.
0: Oh, that's a shame, man. So you know what? It's so, talking about support bands. I mean, I always like to go and see the support band if there is somebody playing. Um, but it's interesting. I got these big tours now because my daughter went to see Catherine went to see Beyonce at Murrayfield, and there was no support act um at all. And Elton John, when he comes to the Tech in Aberdeen shortly, uh, they made a point of saying there is no support act there either. Now, maybe they're unsupportable. Is that the word I'm thinking of? Um, or it would be too. They're too big to have a support band. But I just think that's a bit of a shame. Actually, so, but anyway, yeah, that's talk. a lot of
1: crap. Uh, actually, you could tell her. I could hear them from the front garden. It was a
0: dum 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 dum. dum. Um, it was funny because the next morning, Catherine was obviously a little bit hungover, and so I texted her and I said, "Oh, Catherine, have you got any? Uh, if you got any pictures, you could send me some pictures of Beyonce." And she goes, "Dad, I didn't take any." And I said, "Are you, are you even my daughter? I mean." I always take pictures at <laughs> gigs. A couple of pictures, not to annoy of everybody, but that's what yeah. I was just I was too in the moment, um. So, but apparently it was the best thing since sliced bread, obviously. And um, there we go. Yeah, well,
1: well, good for her. Um, okay, <laughs> we'll I need to wrap up now. Just a final word about um, sad news that Andy Rourke from the Smiths yeah. has um, passed away. Terry that Smiths was were a big band for our generation. He was a good bass player.
0: He was excellent. I mean, um. Smith, well, never a bad. I mean, Morrissey, yeah, a bit of a prick, isn't he? But, um, but uh, no, absolutely. I mean, so many people would would be. That's that's just their band, I guess, at that time, and the, the Queen is dead, etc. So, very, um, yeah, very sad news, actually. So indeed, so yeah.
1: yeah. So, um, our our condolences to uh, Smith fans, and um, yeah, I'm sure we'll be. Uh, Hearing uh, a lot more about him over the the coming weeks, and um, there's a, a Blitz Vega um, collaboration that he did with Johnny Marr is due out before too long, so um, mm-hmm. we'll be hearing that in due course as well. Yeah. Okay, Terry, I think that's probably us for this um, particular podcast. We'll be back before you know it, um, and uh, I'm not sure whether I'm going to get away to Porto. Uh, without doing another one, but certainly when I come back from Porto, you'll have the full befter about Primavera. I, I, I I'm,
0: going to, I'm going to say to contact Pissbat now, actually, so for that one. So. <laughs> right, we'll see you soon. Okay, till the next time.